Hello and welcome to Stuff That Interests Me with me, Dominic Frisbee. Now, before we start today's show, I've just got a couple of little bits of admin that I have to get through. This show goes out as a podcast. It goes out on YouTube, on various YouTube channels, and it also goes out on Facebook. So if you like it, please share it with a friend. Please write nice comments and reviews and give us uh, five stars and everything like that. And do all the things uh, that you need to do to, to, to bring a wider listenership and readership to this show. Right. Thank you very much. Now, today's guest is a social health expert. She's an entrepreneur. She's an author. But her main area of expertise is networking. I first met her many years ago at a, a Names Not Numbers conference. So these are these fantastic conferences which she organises. She also uh, organises editorial in intelligence, which you can sign up for, and it gives you a kind of daily digest of, of today's news and, and commentary. And she is the author of this book, Fully Connected, Surviving and Thriving in the Age of Overload. If you haven't guessed already, uh, she is Julia Hobsbawm. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank Hello. you very much for Thanks coming for on. Thanks for having me. Now, you've coined this idea of social health. What is social? health? Well, I think everybody sort of feels that this highly accelerated, hyper-connected age that we're in feels actually unhealthy and a bit dysfunctional. So what I mean by that is stress levels are going up in the world, about 10 million working days a year are lost in Britain, uh, antidepressants are being diagnosed at a rate of knots, global productivity is stagnant. So, so my basic premise is there's something wrong or not completely right with this era that's experienced almost a, a full generation of the internet, what the social scientists Rainey and Wellman call the triple revolution of the internet, social and mobile. So my sense is there's a problem. How do we fix that problem? And actually the first thing I wanted to do was, was, was think about how do we frame that problem. And framing it in health terms is useful for a couple of reasons. One is we're obsessed by health, physical and mental health. In fact, the wellness market, mm -hmm. everything from, you know, gym memberships to trainers, uh, is $3.4 trillion, twice the published size of the arms trade. And so I think if, twice the size of British GDP almost as well. Right, so even if you allow for sort of a bit of aggrandisement on behalf of the Global Wellness Institute that put out those stats, and even if you... you know, it's a mm. huge amount. Mm -hmm. And if you, say, compare it to social uh, companies, social media... Uh, scale, it, it does dwarf it. I mean, we don't yet have a trillion dollar company amongst the social media businesses. So, so we, we are clearly doing something and investing in behaviours and um, kit around our physical and our mental health, but we're not doing it around our social health, and yet there are similarities in terms of how do we organise, how do we behave, how do we feel like we are on top of either our physical health and our mental health, or in, in this case, our connectedness. We're online all the time. Are we productively online? Uh, we know so much information, it's almost an infobesity crisis. So, so it's, a, meta it's a metaphor. Yeah. Social health is, if nothing else, a metaphor for the sense that we're not feeling that things are really productive and functional. Um, I also began to look at the idea of social health uh, when I realised that the World Health Organization's original definition 
uh, hasn't changed since 1946, and it is, and I quote, a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being, not merely the absence of injury and disease. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really interesting because we're very on top of the physical and the mental. We're much less on top of the social, which back in the day, back in the 20th century, really meant class. It didn't mean connectedness. It didn't mean computers. In other words, we didn't have and still don't have a sort of roadmap, an operating system, a strategy around online, offline, and what I I think are the three ingredients of social health, how we manage our knowledge, how we manage our networks, and how we manage our time. It's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot of questions I want to ask there. Um, the I agree with you. There is, there is this feeling that something is missing, and, it, and it's, there's this kind of contradiction in that we're more connected than ever, our networks are bigger than ever, you know, we've all got X thousand followers on LinkedIn and Twitter and whatever else it is. Um, so, uh, as an individual, I think your, your kind of mission is firstly to get get bring greater recognition to the importance of this subject and from a kind of institutional governmental level and then also to communicate that we as individuals can improve our own lot now let's assume that we can't in this conversation change the stance of the government let's so let's let's tackle the individual what what can we as individuals do to improve our social health well i I, i'm interested in in productivity which seems like a really dry term and productivity which affects businesses departments and individuals so uh, what social health means is to have a plan in exactly the same way that almost everybody unless they are you know very challenged in other areas um, you know if you're homeless if you're a refugee if you've got bigger stuff to worry about maybe you don't but if you are living and employed and having some degree of ordinary life the chances are that you have some degree of practice around what you eat what exercise you get and what sleep you take well what are the what are the um, uh, matching factors of social health it's it's your diet of information it is the five a day of of, of fitness and mm-hmm. uh, diet, which is an entirely con- false construct. I mean, it's a marketing campaign. Uh, I, I think one needs an equivalent of that in terms of your daily and regular intake of information. We so we need to limit it in the same way we limit our calorie intake. We need limit to limit it, curate it, choose it wisely. You know, a carrot is better than a Mars bar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. In other words, what sources of information are we taking in? How are we sharing it? Because this, there is a tsunami of information that's drowning us. So as individuals, if you, if you think, yeah, I look after my uh, diet, my fitness, my sleep. I look after my information and my knowledge. I look after my networks and I look after my time. So let's think about time. Uh, it's very, very, very stretched uh even elon musk and all those blokes in silicon valley that want to stretch our lives to 150 and and bring us a driverless car and all that stuff they don't stretch time itself there's still only 168 hours in the week and we sleep a third of those so how you spend your time is critical so you know if i had one tip because of course dominic you're no different everyone wants The tip, Um, treat your diary, your calendar, your schedule like your body. Don't let anyone put anything in it that you haven't chosen, Mm -hmm. that you aren't owning. So time is critical. 
And networks, I'm just going to say a statement of the very obvious, which is face-to-face is very important in a Facebook world. There's many, many benefits to broadcasting to large numbers of people, not just, you know, huge narcissists like you and me, people that actually like broadcasting. But most people now regard it as normal to connect with strangers and friends through social media. That really isn't the same as having a cup of coffee with somebody, looking into somebody's face, using the, the, the five human senses. So I worry about the idea that we forget that just spending time with an individual or small groups of individuals, uh, that we forget how important that is. Like, it's very simple and straightforward to drink five glasses of water a day. You know, who are the five people you're talking to? I've met so many people over the internet over the years, and I've made some great friendships have started as a result of internet conversations. But everyone is busy dispensing advice. There's so much advice giving get goes on. And a lot of the time, you know, that advice is well phrased and it's well punctuated and it's written in a nice type and so on. So you think, oh yeah, that's sensible advice. But if you actually met that person, you go, I'm not, you're an idiot. I'm not taking <laughs> advice from you. So do you, I mean, it's, it's also... A good way of, of, of filtering and, and censoring and weeding out... A BS detection yeah. kit. I, I think that trust is the probably most highly prized human commodity. It's what we trade on intrinsically. I believe you, I trust you. Or I do not believe you and I do not trust you. And probably the highest filter form is is face to face you can see the demeanor and the clothes and so on and so forth but it's also just that i worry about the idea that we're moving into a, a social age which outsources the human and sort of says you know they're their little human you're not as clever as the robot you're not as fast and super connected as the broadband you can't reach as many people as a social media feed you know you matter less and and really my my idea of social health is that who we are as humans is fundamentally social. The default position of the brain, neuroscientists have proved, the default position of a healthy brain is to concern itself with one thing and one thing only, actually, which is who do I love and who loves me and who do I care about and who cares about me. And so in a social age where we have begun to think it's all about the computer, it's all about the technology, it's all about the speed, I want to bring it back and say, no, to be socially healthy is to have relationships to have trust, to have intimacy, not to have scale. And so I'm, I'm arguing for a rebalancing, really, not because I'm some sort of Luddite, anybody that knows me, yeah. and plenty who don't, know that I embrace social networks uh, and I'm on Twitter and broadcast and write and and Yeah, blah, and you blah, send blah. out your editorial intelligence every day. And... Editorial intelligence goes out every day. I send a newsletter out that, you know, gets about 50% open rates, you know. So it's... Uh, I'm not trying to say some sort of Orwellian, two legs good, four legs bad argument. But what I am saying is all of the noise about modern connectedness is going in a funny direction that I'm worried about. And that funny direction is somehow the humans diminishing in scale and importance. And I think that's a great mistake. I think the human has to remain totally central. If you kind of go back to our kind of natural state or, you know, you go down the anthropological route, you know, once upon a time we lived in 
extended families, if you like. Yeah. And and even in the early twentieth century, families were bigger and. You know, we we had more contact with our own families, and as cities have grown, as the internet's happened, as there's all sorts of reasons for it, and you know, people have moved because of work, and maybe the state does some of the things that once upon a time were the responsibilities of the family. But we've seen the kind of almost the destruction of the family, of the extended family. It's it's it, does that does that concern you? Because that's your kind of most natural network, if you like. Well, the word, I suppose, is community, and yes, it does bother me. I mean, I don't want to start prescribing exactly how people live, Mm -hmm. but certainly there's quite an exciting development in the way cities are being designed and built. People are are sort of back on cities, having gone off them a bit, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the fantasy was everybody wants to live in the countryside. Well, no, they don't. Most people want to live in cities because cities give you access to thrilling, exciting, dynamic networks. And, in fact... Probably the most famous um, analyst of cities who's still widely used was an American architectural writer called Jane Jacobs. Uh, and, and she talked entirely about the cities as a network. And a healthy network gives you loads of diverse ideas, but also a trusted mm-hmm. set of relationships. So it's less of a family than a diverse network that I think you want to model. Mm-hmm. But certainly the idea that most of us spend most of our time connecting effectively in the cloud, that's problematic. And when you look at our everyday lives, it's still the human that we come back to. So for a couple of Examples most people will, will relate to, I think. An airline goes down. It's hacked. Let's say British Airways, which is the most recent example. Worldwide flights are halted. Okay, that happens. That's not great. It's not as bad as a solar flare, mm-hmm. but it's not great. But in fact, the processes in those companies have become so divorced from the human side... No that you're talking about two or three days where, you know, these poor schmoes at the airport, nobody even gave them a bottle of water Mm -hmm. because nobody had the authority to go and buy water. Now, that's a problem because everything is outsourced to the idea that there's a technology that, A, won't fail, and it does, and, B, that somehow there's an app for that. And, And that, it seems to me, is a problem... It's to do with human responsibility as well. Yeah. And and the authority that you're given. And also just get real. You know, like, you know, if you sit on the sofa and you gorge yourself with, 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 with sweets and you don't move, you know, sugar television, sedentary sofas, these are some of the biggest contributions to poor world health. Okay. That and clean water and all sorts of, Mm -hmm. you know, mega things. So we know that we can take corrective action. And yet I, I believe that for 25 to 30 years, we have become inundated by and infatuated by modern connectedness. And it's not even so much limits as balances and checks on what we are consuming and how we are behaving. And social health, uh, I've got a very long explanation about what social health is and, and how it relates to the original definition of health that the World Health Organization created in 1946 and hasn't updated. But the headline is, we are connected beings. That's what defines us as human beings. And the way we do it now on technology and in our lives has become very jumbled and very imprecise and very unhealthy. 
So, Julia, let's, let's project out a few years. Let's project out five or ten years. What's going to happen? Um, I mean, you're very early to this, and so and you're adv- advocating certain things need to be done, and each individual needs to take charge. But the likelihood is is that even if if some people listen to you and and do take charge, do you, I mean, in in general terms, is it going to get worse before it gets better? What, what's the what, what do you see? Oh, as... I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But in fact, I'm a sort of pessimistic optimist. Okay. There's a bit of the Pollyanna in me that says, let's always play the the glad game. Let's always look on the bright side. The bright side is that human beings are fantastically resourceful, resilient, inventive, innovative. Um, and that we are fundamentally social and we want to connect and we are being drawn more and more to to meaningful connections. So I think that there's a, a tipping point where the selfie is going to become uh, seen as selfish, mm-hmm. for instance. I think that we might, I'm hopeful, that we might blow through some of that absolutely pointless narcissism on the other hand i think it's going to get a lot worse partly because uh, the robots are coming mm-hmm. ai is coming and so uh, we need to we need to make sure that the workforce uh, r- retains skills uh, both coming into the workforce and going out the other side of the workforce that we retain skills and those skills are um, not things that computers can do they are problem solving they are trust-based, they are social-based skills. And at the moment, we haven't quite learned how to teach those skills and practice those skills. So I'm pessimistic in the sense that I think there's going to be a lot of collateral damage early. But on the other hand, humans do always pick themselves up and have always picked themselves up. But I think we just need to reframe and refocus. I'm particularly uh, concerned that the infatuation with um, Silicon Valley and what I would call Mm techno-evangelism comes to a bit of a halt. Um, There's other things going on that that we need to to get back to. So another example globally um, of of where if you over-rely on the technology and the world goes dark, what do you do? is a story of one company that makes a lot of movies and a lot of entertainment, that's Sony. When Sony was hacked, all their um, back office functions were compromised and, as I understand it, more or less deleted. And the only thing that got the company back up and running, insiders told me, was was literally picking up the phone on a trust base and saying, you know, hey, Bob, I need a 48-sheet poster ready by Tuesday and I haven't got an invoice and I haven't got, you know, I can't get a finance sheet through to you, but will you trust me? Uh, So I feel that um, if we don't reinsert those human processes... And I'm quite keen on the idea that we talk about things that most people don't like talking about, like management rather than leadership, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, if we don't, then we may, in fact, experience, uh, you know, an, an abrupt uh, sense of isolation and disconnection. For me, this is all about disconnection in a connected age. Why do we feel so disempowered? Why do we feel so disengaged? Why do we feel so disconnected? It's because we are not reclaiming that space in the middle, which is just you and me. You know, Mm -hmm. just, I mean, we may be broadcasting to many people, but we are just in 
a room together connecting and that's a very powerful thing to do these days that's a premium thing to mm. do by the way one of the words that has repeatedly come up over the course of this interview is the word trust and at some stage you should talk to uh, and this isn't me, I know I've written a book about it, but this isn't me, uh, you know, a computer programmer, because the whole Bitcoin and blockchain movement is all about what they call trust-based computing. And the whole idea of Bitcoin, for example, is we're no longer putting our trust in a central bank, but we're putting our trust in an algorithm. And um, there's a lot of kind of computer yes. developments of what you've been talking about, which where there's some interesting parallels. Now, one last question for you, Julia. Um, what give us one or two things or maybe even three things that we should all do tomorrow or this week to improve our social health so most of us have a strategy around what we eat and when we eat what we do with our bodies to move it and keep it fit and how and our sleep patterns so the the same needs to be done around uh, your information sources so the first thing i'd say is Get out more with your information sources. If you're turning on the same channel or looking at the same Facebook feed, mix it up a bit. In, enlarge your horizon of information sources so that you can really try and figure out what's going on. So have a richer diet of information and knowledge. Get a bit outside your comfort zone. Make sure that, you know, at least five times a week you are picking up the phone or seeing someone for a cup of coffee. Don't reply all on yeah. that email. <laughs> Walk down the hall and say, hello, how are you? So mix up your face-to-face in your Facebook. And finally, treat your diary, your calendar like your body. Don't let anyone else put something in it that you wouldn't want to put in it yourself. Don't have a meeting on one part of town. Yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff. Time management and uh, and and time to think, time to do nothing, time to let that rush of technology uh, be still. It's interesting you say pick up the phone. When somebody phones me up now, I think they're weird. <laughs> now, and I'll give you one other thing you should do, which is to buy Julia's book, and it's just been nominated for Management Book of the Year. Shortlisted. For Shortlisted for Management, Management Book of the, of the year. year. And I also forgot to say, a little name drop here, that Julia Hobsbawm is Julia Hobsbawm OBE. There you go. Julia, thanks very much. If people want to find out, I mean, I've plugged your book, but why don't you plug your Twitter feed as we finish? Oh, it's at Julia Hobsbawm or juliahobsbawm.com. Very good. Julia Hobsbawm, thank you very much. Thank you. And we will be back with another Stuff That Interests Me at the same time next week. And once again, if you like the show, please give us a nice review. Please share the programme with a friend and do all those things that, that help the programme grow and reach a bigger audience. I've been Dominic Frisbee. Thank you very much. Goodbye.